Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Skeptic Hangout. This is the place where we sit back, relax, and chit-chat about intriguing and often controversial topics through the lens of skepticism. With us today, we have Richard Gilliver from Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, and Richard Gill from The Yorkshire Atheist. Today, we're going to be talking about veganism. So, Grab your English tea or your almond milk pumpkin spice chai tea latte and join us as we discuss the elimination of animal products from one's personal consumption. While that catchy music is playing, please, please take a moment to like this episode and subscribe so that you can catch all of our shows. Um, You can also, if you want, hit that reminder button. That way, anytime we upload a new show, you will be notified right away. This is episode 33 veganism. 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 Are we on episode 33 already? Uh, yeah. Dude, let's just talk about that the whole show. <laughs> Dang. Um, uh, talking about veganism, not at all, I um, I did a little <laughs> bit of research after, I don't know whether we were talking about it on the show or whether it was just kind of, kind of background chatter, as, as we often do before we started recording last week, about eggplants. And uh, I did a little bit of research, and they do, in fact, look like eggs when they're baby eggplants. So I'm glad oh. I found that out. Oh, there we go. Uh, thank you so much. So follow up from last week's show. They're called eggplants because they look like eggs when they're babies. That's kind of cool. Nice. They're not called eggplants at all in Britain. Okay, so no. let me work that into veganism. When I was a vegetarian, one of my favorite things to make for the kids and for myself was eggplant parmesan. Mm. That sounds nice. Yeah, no, in, in hindsight, it was probably torturous for them. I don't think they liked it at all, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's so, I think it sounds great. I'd eat no, it. it's really good. It's really good. But eggplant does have a, a unique taste and like texture that you have to be ready for. V- veganism's a, a, a funny thing, isn't it? And vegetarianism, because it's like you get some people like dead set against it, like really against it. Like, I never, like, one of my friends is like, I, I can't live without meat. I can't live without meat. And that's, that's I mean, although I do eat meat, I've never had that kind of feminine uh, against aversion. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, really, it. strictly speaking, yes, you can live without meat, right? Like, biologically, we are, we are capable of living without meat. But you're right. There's a lot of people who are emotionally, like, attached to the idea. Um, and vice yeah, versa. Who, like, would go out of their way to eat meat in front of a vegan. You know, like, Ooh. the people are just, like... Yeah, that, that well, no, that's just rude. That's me. just rude, yeah. yeah. I think I think any form of, like, shoving your ideology in somebody else's face is just rude. Um, so you know, the, skeptics who create a YouTube channel just to talk about skeptic things is ridiculous. It's absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? You you listen to it because you want to. I'm not shoving it in your face. Unless you're on my Facebook page, in which I'm totally... Totally shoving it in your face. (laughs) It's a a hole you've dug for yourself if you're in that situation. Yeah, don't follow my newsfeed if you don't want to hear about this. (laughs) No, talking talking about people who want to listen to our show. We haven't done an episode on mental health yet. (laughs) I'm afraid to do that one. (laughs) Uh, No, okay. So uh, Richard looked at me with disgust. Then (laughs) you don't know who you don't know who I was looking at with disgust. You have no idea. Could have been me trying to change the subject back to veganism. Um, yeah, so Should maybe... we define it first of all? Because I think like it's interesting in terms of because I grew up not really knowing about the idea of veganism. Yeah. I had a good idea of vegetarianism about people who just don't eat meat. Mm-hmm. But obviously, veganism is the the step further than that in terms of reducing as much as possible. Um, any sorts of products for animals or any products that you know may have resulted in the cruelty or killing of animals so not just in terms of diet but also in terms of you know wearing things made out of leather or yeah cosmetics that include animal products 
Um, and I know that from, I think it was like the 1840s, there was a vegetarian society in the UK. Uh, and some of them adhered to the modern idea of vegetarianism where people just don't eat meat. Uh, but some of them did go the whole hog and what we now call vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, but they sort of called like dairy-free vegetarians. Um, but then I know in the 1940s, in their like newsletter, there was someone who wanted a sort of regular column of people who were dairy-free vegetarians, and they got the word vegan. And this is my understanding, so please like tell me if I'm wrong. But as in the first bit of the first and the last bit of vegetarians, so the first three letters and the last two letters because veganism is the beginning and the end of vegetarianism. Is that where the, oh my gosh, that's interesting. I had no idea where the word came from, but if anyone was going to know, it was going to be you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that as well, because a lot of vegans actually define it in a, a more nuanced way than that. And it's, it's, it's that, but as far as is practically possible to do it, Right. It's like the which, whole controversy. Which to me, to me is like an excuse. It's a bit like one of those, you know, it's like God people who use maximally powerful rather than <laughs> all powerful, because if you use all powerful, it leads you into difficulties in arguments. But it's like the controversy in the UK when um, plastic money came in a few years ago. So our notes in the UK, for those who don't know, are plastic um, instead of paper. And it, yeah, was it like 2014, 15, Jill, for maybe that that came in? But they're about like 0.05% like beef <laughs> or something. Well, like, maybe not beef, but like some sort of animal, animal derivative. Product. Please, okay. someone Google that. But like, there is like a really small percentage of animal product in the makeup of the, the plastic that's used for, for UK money. Um, and obviously, using that money then to some people's standards would go against vegan ideals because it's still even to the smallest degree, you know, came from the suffering of an animal. Um, but that, that to me is an example of that, you know, to the greatest practical extent, like you can't avoid cash completely. I mean, can you? Maybe you can. Maybe, maybe but like some can. people would argue that it's a necessary part of life. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that, um, so that, God, there's like so many different shades of morality in in the the veganism argument, right? Because like, um, there is that sort of extreme end of it where it's like if you even accidentally use an animal product or you use something that that at some point in its manufacture uses some sort of animal product, then that is uh, morally bad, like you're hurting an animal. But then there's also just the the everyday veganism where it's like, well, we don't need like the the sort of I guess I guess some I hate to call it like vegan light, but it, it doesn't go to those those extreme lengths where it's more like, well, we've gotten to the point in our society where we don't need to eat animals to survive we have so many other options and ways of making um <laughs> making vegetables mimic meat <laughs> right <laughs> to the point where even if you like the consistency or the taste of meat or if you're like used to eating meat done in air quotes um you can replace it with vegetarian products relatively easily and so there's there's that sort of end of veganism where it's like why kill and slaughter and eat an animal if you don't have to when you can just choose something different yeah but that, that extreme length that you're talking about, I would almost think that it would drive a person crazy because in any given normal household or normal lifestyle of any of these industrialized cultures, you don't always know the exact makeup of the stuff that you're, you're consuming, not just as food, but as products. Yeah. I've had lots of conversations with vegans and it's, it's one of those things where I kind of... I don't want to say heated, but they get not they, the the conversations rather than the people get emotional. Right, it is an emotive topic, of, though, isn't it? Like a really yeah. emotive topic when you get to the bare bones of lots of the reasons behind it. But the thing is, I'm not actually I'm not I'm not one of these people I mentioned earlier who's actually like anti-vegan or anti-vegetarian. Or I'm I'm not one of those. I spent a lot of time in Buddhist monasteries where they, although they're not strictly vegan or vegetarian they tend to largely be uh there are different things with it rules within the different religion religion governing that but uh, that's an aside but you know I've, i'm quite happy to sit down and eat vegan food mm-hmm. I've, I've not i've nothing against veganism people being vegans people choosing to be vegans 
And yeah, I get in these very emotive debates because I'm not one. And I get in these very kind of emotive conversations with people who are. So, so it's, it, go on. Do you think that to some extent then, like with what you're saying, that some forms of veganism have taken on like more of an ideology and less of a lifestyle or diet choice? Well, I I tend to argue against uh, vegan veganism as a moral imperative right. rather than veganism. And by for those who don't know what I mean by moral imperative is that you 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 should do it. You right. should everyone should do. It. Yeah, he's kind of stopping for a second. Like I think the the video kind of cut out, but I think what he was trying to say was. When you, when you talk about moral imperative, it's um, an ought or a should. Like, you should be vegan or other people besides just myself should be vegan because it's immoral not to. Wait, and now hey, hey Jilliver. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You froze for a second, so I, I, I kind of cut in and, and finished what I thought you meant by, by moral imperative, um, which is yeah. to say that, that one or other people besides just oneself should do it. Otherwise, it's morally wrong not to. Yeah, and it's that sort of evangelical side of veganism, isn't it? Like, I think there's a stereotype of vegans as being, you know, a group of people who shove that down people's throats, whether they want it or not. In the same way as people might criticise certain religious groups for shoving that in people's face instead of just quietly getting on with their own religious beliefs and practices. Yeah, but I can sort of, in a way, understand why they would want to do that because the thing that they care about can be improved by more people doing it so you know like if you if you're someone who cares about the slaughter of animals for meat or for other products or you care about the mistreatment of animals in the dairy industry or things like that you yourself can only make a minimal difference to the amount of suffering that is that animals are saved from whereas if you amass a much larger group of people who follow the same sorts of ideas or go through the same sorts of practices in terms of diet and, and lifestyle, then you can make a much bigger difference for the, you know, to make a much bigger difference for the for the animals that you actually care about. Um, yeah. So I can kind of understand it from that way, but I, I also know that it rubs people up the wrong way because what, what they're actually saying or promoting is for people to, in some ways, dramatically change the way that they live their lives. And even if it's for good reasons, that's always a hard sell. Yeah, people people don't like to change in general. Like people people um, struggle with that just in general for any for any specific topic. Um, so yeah, I can kind of see why there's a pushback, especially when the approach is like what Jilliver was saying: the ought, the you need to or you have to. There's nothing that will stop a lot of people from doing something than telling them you have to do it. Like, oh, I have to be vegan now fuck you. No, I'm going to go eat my hamburger and I'm going to put it in your face. Right. Because there's no way you're going to force me to be vegan. I think if there's, if there's any sort of movement to be had, especially for either moral or even economic, um, reasons, like when you start talking about like factory farming and stuff, um, if there's any benefit to moving towards it, it should be done with education and with people choosing the lifestyle rather than, um, being forced into it. But I think that that's true of any ideology. Like you, you said it in terms of veganism, like you can understand why they would want to, but I could even understand why a, an entirely convinced Christian would want to. I mean, if they literally think that their children or their loved ones are going to burn in hell for eternity and suffer, and they really oh, wow. have empathy and compassion, then you would want to convince people with every fiber of your being. Right. So I kind of think that that's true of like every single ideology, the person who really, truly buys it and is really militant about it. From their own perspective, I can understand why they feel justified um, in, in trying to force those those beliefs or those thoughts on other people. Um, and that, that to me is like a whole, whole another discussion um, of where we should draw the line with that as like cultures and societies. Um, but yeah, I think, go ahead. I was just going to say, which is interesting in the vegan area as well, because uh, I think, and a lot of people uh, think of veganism, they have an idea of what it is or or what motivates people to do it. And of course, like many things, there are a wide range of reasons why people are vegan. There are a wide range of people, uh, reasons uh, why people choose to be vegetarian 
and 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 not take that extra step so the whole the whole subject is is prone to misinterpretation from people from the outside and that's where we should be very careful not to kind of overstep that mark and to find out when someone when we are discussing things with people who are vegan what it is that they believe rather than straw man in their position it's really to jump on the whole you know trying to avoid cruelty to animals but you know just as easily people could be like well actually the meat industry is like a massive contributor to the climate crisis and so actually that's my environmental you know priorities and whatever actually trump my desire to eat meat and so that's the reason i'm vegan you know there are so many reasons like you say um and it's funny because um uh, i was teaching my class recently about the christian creation story um for those who don't know i'm a school teacher um and we were reading the stuff in um in genesis chapter one about how all the the plants have been given to mankind for food and we're lord over all the animals and stuff and they were like so we can't eat meat that we're just uh, sorry yeah we can't eat meat because god said all the plants are for us and you know you can it's one of those and we talked before about how you can use scripture um to you know back up any sort of viewpoint or ideology yeah. that you're wanting to so even you know people taking those sorts of things as evidence that that's the way god wants us to live our lives as well you know such a multifaceted way and yeah it is really important like you said to understand the basis upon which someone is making that point um i mean it uh, lots of people talk about meat as like really separate from the animals that they come from and it's one of those things where if you said to someone in order to eat beef you have to slaughter a cow you know i think it would certainly put a lot of people off meat you know if they had to go through the process of doing that but because it is always completely separate from us you know that happens in abattoirs and slaughterhouses far away away from our eyes away from our sensibilities it's really easy to just see it as a consumable product and not something that used to be an animal walking around with, you know, desires and likes and dislikes and, you know, levels of comfort Feelings. and pain and all of that. So that makes me get down a little bit of a rabbit hole in my brain because you're, you're, this goes completely off the vegan topic, but the, it seems to me that the way we handle um, being okay with eating another animal is like the, the the closer that they are to us or the more personality that they have or the more they exhibit feelings, the more we name the meat differently from the animal itself, right? So you have um, cow, but you call it beef, right? But then you have chicken and you call it chicken. Um, but then at the same time, like chickens, they're not really, they don't really have that same personality. There's like, they, they just, you don't really empathize with a bird the way that you empathize with with a, a um, another mammal. You know where and that then, originated from? Huh. It originated from the Norman conquest of England. Um, so lots of the words that we use for meat come from the old French and old Norman words. Uh, whereas the Anglo-Saxon words are the words we use for the animals because the Anglo-Saxon workers br- like bred and looked after the animals, but the meat was for the posh, rich Normans. Uh... And so the French word boeuf is the word beef, whereas we use the word cow because it was the Anglo-Saxons who looked after the cows. You know, that's did. super interesting, which <laughs> takes my theory and completely washes it down the toilet. Because I was no, thinking like, but then something, but that's, like that's... That, <laughs> something like that that started as that actually continued. Actually, this is whole idea in linguistics about whether, you know, society and cultures affect language and whether language actually affects cultures. And when you think about chicken, it's really easy when you have a chicken in the oven to see that it was a bird. And you can see that we talk about the wings and the whatever else. Whereas a piece of beef steak you know it's beef it's not cow we don't have some cow here we do have beef and the language actually sort of separates those ideas from us a little bit so actually i don't think you're wrong at all in what you're saying <coughs> unless you unless you're my daughter when we we're in the shop the other day we bought two packets of bacon and she ran across the shop with a pack of bacon in each hand going pig Big, big. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's adorable. When I was in my early 20s, I used to uh, I used to love um, making veal parmesan. I talk a lot about parmesan because it's like one of my favorite ways to prepare meat. But um, I remember calling it baby cow. I'm like, hey, like when someone's like, hey, what are we having for dinner tonight? Baby cow, right? <laughs> Which is completely reprehensible now. And like in hindsight, it's like, 
I was completely supportive of even celebrating the fact that we were slaughtering baby animals for because it, the meat is more tender. In in our families, it, it kind of doesn't. It, that's not an issue because I mean, my kids that go up to me, uh, my wife's uh, well, it's, it's a granddad's farm, but it's a brother of, who runs it, and they go up and they see the animals and they know that they're going to be slaughtered. And, you know, my kids are five and eight years old and they know that's happening. They're not hidden from it. They know exactly where their food's coming from and that it used to be a, a pig, which is a very intelligent creature. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think that there's there's not, maybe there's not as much validity to that argument as as people give it credit for. The idea that we have a hard time eating things that we empathize with more, especially in terms of like people think it's gross to eat dogs, right? Or cats because we keep them as pets. I think and- I think there is. I think I think your argument is a valid argument. I think for a lot of people who aren't exposed to it, it's a very valid argument. Right. So maybe it's a matter I of just exposure. I don't think too. it's universal. Yeah, so. good point. Yeah. Like my children, we went um for Fourth of July, we went um camping with family friends of ours and we ended up taking our kids to one of their friends houses and the kids saw where they had um their hunters right and they had skinned and they were they were they had the animals hanging out my kids were like that's cool i've never seen that before they're like these people like they hunt and i I didn't know that that's what it looked like and they were not scared they were not freaked out they weren't put off by it but they were very curious about it they were like wow we've we've never seen that before and so you're you're right like there's there's sort of a level of exposure or comfort already there for certain kids, but then for other people, like my, my friend's daughter, when she was young, couldn't like, just couldn't stay. Like she was a natural vegetarian from the time that she understood that meat came from animals. And she hated the fact that her, her siblings and her family ate meat. Like she would <coughs> yell at her siblings for eating a hot dog, right. When she was like three, four years old. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a matter of like sensibilities and that, that could be different from one person to another. You live in the countryside, Gil, ish. For ish. me, you live yeah. in the countryside. Yeah. What, what's what's the kind of exposure that your kids get to the the food industry in regards to animals? Where yeah, they come I mean, from? And... We've um, we we do live sort of, I guess, semi rurally. Um, so yeah, there is plenty of stuff around and about. It, my son, my eldest son, he was he's ten now, but. Um, I think about 18 months ago, he did six months of vegetarianism uh, because we've always had animals in and around the house. We've got three cats and a dog around the house. We've got rabbits and guinea pigs, horses, stick insects, fish. We've got them all. Um, And so, like, he has always had a deep caring for animals. And one thing struck me, and and as a a meaty to myself and as a family of, you know, non-vegans, I think there is that stage, you know, where children do realise that meat comes from animals, Mm -hmm. where they are horrified by it. And we teach them, no, this is okay. I know when you think about it, like we we do indoctrinate our children to think that, no, even though this is from an animal that has been killed, we still eat this and this is okay. And it it, it did, it, it struck me because I think my children, if they had the option of having an animal killed for the food, or keeping an animal alive and looking after it. And I know it's, that's not the option because it's a much bigger scale and whatever else. But if it was that option, they would much rather look after that animal and just eat something else. But I teach them that, no, we should carry on eating the animals, even though you're disgusted by it. And then they grow used to it and just sort of carry on. Um, so, I mean, yeah. It, is, always, it was quite timely that when you were talking about eating animals, your cat, cat was enthusiastic. Me. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, don't <laughs> eat me. <laughs> Those little bastards are waiting to get eaten. <laughs> like, um, okay, so so that you brought up something that, that like it hit like a, I don't know, like maybe a discussion point in my brain. It like pinged my brain. You I said we, it, like boom, like the light bulb <laughs> went on. You said we indoctrinate kids to be okay with eating meat. Right. And, and, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to get into that a little bit because in the animal kingdom, eating another animal is perfectly natural. There's no indoctrination needed. That's just a matter of survival. And in our, in our very recent history, that would be true for us as well. Right. Like we became meat eaters at some point um, in our evolutionary history out of some sort of necessity. Right. And that became just part of 
our um, biology as humans was just and you can point to the fact you know we've got canines you know we're built yeah. to eat meat we're built to digest meat we're as well omnivores as right yeah. yeah and um and there's argument that we weren't maybe we weren't always or whatever like i don't know our evolutionary history back far enough to before whatever animal became a meat eater to know when um our our evolutionary ancestors became meat eaters but it doesn't even matter like it's it's throughout the animal kingdom so one could argue and I, I don't know that i would make this specific argument i think there's validity on both sides but one could argue that no no no, veganism is what needs to be indoctrinated into us because it's the less natural way to go evolutionarily for us evolutionarily yeah i think but let's imagine the scenario that i say i raised all my children on a completely vegan diet and that we ate nothing that came from animals whatsoever and then when they're all aged 10 11 12 whatever i suddenly say to them what we're going to do today <laughs> is kill this animal chop it up into little pieces cook it and eat it that would be a horrendous oh. idea that they'd never come across before yeah. and i think that would be a much bigger jump to say oh yeah this is okay <laughs> than the other way around in terms of thinking let's stop doing this and do i, I find it really difficult because i i kind of get a lot of the arguments that vegans make a lot of the arguments yeah. in a big deal uh and i guess the thing that's stopping me and i think there's probably things that uh, you know vegan advocates would would argue against this but for me it it doesn't at the moment feel like a practical thing for me and my family to adopt as much as ethically and morally i can i can get behind it um I mean, you know, we can do things like, you know, reducing our meat intake or, you know, only having it every whatever. It's not necessarily a part of every meal that we eat, but it certainly at the moment for us where we are this second isn't something that I feel we're ready as a family to adopt. But I think the arguments still stand nonetheless. And that, yeah, saying to a child, should we kill this animal, cut it up into pieces, cook it and eat it sounds horrendous, but oh, chicken nuggets. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. That's what I think I think we're in this cusp, like, but like it, it, the way that our our, I, I don't want to keep using the word evolution. The way that our cultures are are moving and and our our um, ability to innovate new ways of cultivating food and, and creating different products and stuff, we're sort of moving away from some things that were in the past necessities. So we're on the cusp of this moral conversation now of, well, if we don't have to do it and we're only doing it because we've always done it this way, is it something that we need to keep doing? So and I think certainly I know right. over the last 10, 15 years, you know, vegan alternatives to loads of stuff have been so much more um, sort of developed and available. Like I can go to any supermarket and find vegan options for things. Yeah. It's just they happen to be less plentiful, fewer choices and slightly more expensive, which is, and a little bit taboo, like, people like ew, because it's vegan, it's gross. Yeah. No, I had I had vegan bacon this weekend, and it was served to me on a military inst installation for breakfast. Right? It like, tastes that was... like cardboard. No, it tasted a lot like bacon bits. So it was it was dry, right? Wow. Like, but it was pretty it's decent. Very different to what you get yeah. over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah. I think I think the flavors of vegan foods are are really evolving and becoming more complex to match what we're used to eating. And I don't think that that should be a necessity, but because we're all stubborn, um, it's sort of like, I think it's a brilliant marketing ploy to get more people taste-wise so to eat it. After the commercial break, let's talk about some of the arguments because a lot of the arguments are somewhat intertwined yeah. for veganism, although you can use them as standalone arguments. So we might get a bit rabbit hole -y. Uh, when we come back, but I want to go into some of the specific arguments themselves. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's take off for a commercial break and we'll do that when we get back. Okay, so we have got a month of the non-profits coming up. <laughs> literally yeah. giggity, a month giggity. if you've not caught the non-profits you've definitely heard about if you've watched our show before so always talk is one of the fantastic shows put on by the aca uh some would say it's a flagship show put on by the aca uh and by some i'm some i mean the producer johnny angel um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you know me and laura are regulars on it i've i'm on it this week of the 10th, because uh, it's Sunday, Laura was on last week on the 3rd, 
Laura's on on the 17th, and we're both on on the 24th. So you, that's a month worth of nonprofits, people. <laughs> if you watch the nonprofits, you're going to see a lot of us. So I hope you like us. And if you've never seen the nonprofits and you like this show, go and watch it because we're on it. Girls yeah, not. and just to, I don't think we ever really talk about what the shows were on, what they actually are about. We kind of say like, oh, catch us on this or catch us on that. But the nonprofits, what I like about it is they they take current events and news articles, and then just we just discuss them. We discuss I learn a lot by watching the nonprofits. I learn loads about stuff I never even heard of before, and I, I always finish nice. watching or listening to it feeling enlightened. And we're not always necessarily experts, but it gives people at least a starting point where like if it's something that you don't know about or it catches your interest or that you find intriguing, you can go and do the rest of the research yourself. Like uh, there's a lot of times where what, what we're talking about, we're talking at a very like layman's level because we're not all experts. And then there's times where people come on and they just know their shit and you learn a lot from them specifically. So no matter what, I think it's an opportunity to expand your sort of horizons, figure out what's going on in, in the news today besides just what's on national news. Because a lot of these topics we find are very just like um, they cover secular topics and religion versus Almost atheism. News and stuff outlets, like that. I don't even go with the whole fake news thing. Like that's just it's <laughs> so cliche. <laughs> I, I, learn, I love it. I learn a lot from it, especially being British, because a lot of the uh, yeah. topics are like kind of uh, American centric. So, Americentric. Um uh, that and uh I <laughs> I I come into those shows and I learn so much just from just from doing the background reading because it's 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 kind of a round table think show like ours, yep. but whereas we're unprepared unless you're Richard O'Cheats. We um <laughs> with all his etymology and all that we research. literally <laughs> just jump in. Whereas uh, you know there are uh, We'd sometimes reading research papers, news articles, whatever it is on the nonprofits, and it's so much fun and it's so interesting to do get that background information. Yeah, yeah. But enough about them. Let's talk about us, Mister Kill. Um, sometimes on a dark and windy night like the night that we're recording tonight, uh, what I like to do is get myself sat down in a little cozy chair, blanket over the top of me, uh, a good mug of tea. Um, and I go to this um, site, linkter.e slash Skeptic Hangout. What I do is I go down and pick some of the different outlets uh, from which you can see our show or listen to our show, uh, subscribe to it on my podcast feed. Uh, then I notice that we've got an Instagram page and a Twitter page, uh, which are in various levels of use. Boldness. Whatever it is. Um, but I always uh, manage to go on the link for our Facebook discussion group, the official Skeptic Hangout division. Facebook discussion group um, because it's full of lots of wonderful people, including me and both of you. Um, I, I count all of us in the, the group of wonderful people. Um, and while I'm sat there on cold and blustery nights on that page, I like to talk to people about what we've been talking about in the shows. Uh, but I also like to talk to people about other things as well that crop up and arguments that people have and thoughts that people have and opinions that people have. And all of that is interesting and can be found on our link tree. So um, I recommend that undertaking to anyone who may have heard me rambling on about it for the last minute and a half. I love it. Check it out. Okay, everybody, back to the show. Okay, okay welcome back from commercial break, gentlemen. Um, before commercials, um, we were talking about what the different reasons for veganism were and i can think of a few off the top of my head but what do you guys think i i don't necessarily disagree with a lot of the reasons uh for veganism uh i just don't think the conclusion that they come to is necessarily the right one when you say they uh, you're talking about i'm thinking just vegans specific, in specific, general in but not the, every single vegan. not not everyone like, I've, I've, the ones I've had conversations with uh, pretty much universally. Um, for example, and I'm just going to chuck one thing out there as an example, mm-hmm. uh, that veganism is better for the environment. It is, undoubtedly, but it doesn't have to be. If we changed the way that the meat industry ran, mm-hmm. 
and and the way that we ate meat and re- and a lot of these arguments are intertwining. So we reduced our meat consumption yeah. by changing the meat <laughs> yeah. industry, which would lead on to another vegan argument, which is that it's healthier because we eat too much meat. Oh, I need to stop you right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one of my least favorite arguments. I think there's a lot of freaking great arguments for people who want to be vegan. And even for myself, like considering whether or not that's something I would do. Veganism is quote unquote healthier than, than a meat diet is bullshit because let me I can tell think you, of so many gloriously. I, I have two, two words eat. for you. French fries, totally vegan, right? That's potatoes fried in oil, vegetable oil. So 100% completely animal free vegan. And there's nothing healthy about French fries. So, and I'm not saying they're not even the only ones. Um, basically any vegetable fried in any vegetable oil. Um, but there's a lot in veganism. Like sugar is natural and, and a plant product um, and is incredibly bad for you when used the wrong way. So okay, let me, let me specify what I mean then, because okay. I don't okay. want to prop up a, a, a false argument. That yeah. And I'm not, not trying to tear it down too much. I'm just saying when I no, hear no. that argument, I always want to stop people and say like, yeah, veganism can be healthier, but you still have to make healthy choices within veganism. If we reduced our meat consumption, mm-hmm. we would undoubtedly be healthier than in general, right? what we are. Uh, and e- even the World Health Organizations, like their studies show that if we reduced red meat consumption, and, just and that's the only change we made. Yeah. More chicken and more fish uh, would be far healthier than we are. Uh, and, and that's what I'm specifically talking about rather than, you know, just eating vegan against eating, eating non vegan. Yeah. I think eating vegan is not advisable. Not advisable. No. Their meat isn't quite as tender as us meat eaters. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> not, not as fatty. <laughs> No, Somebody's I think, gonna I think and, and I know, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I'm being a little bit pedantic when I say that vegan is not inherently healthy. Um, I think the way that people tend to um, practice veganism as a lifestyle, they do tend to eat healthier, right? Well, even just, just because people are in a state where they're consciously thinking about their food choices in a right. more active way necessarily than, you know, Joe blogs down the road. Yeah. And I, I think it also comes with alongside, I think this is kind of what you're talking about, but it, it goes alongside knowing what food you're putting in your body and what it does to your body, right? Like mm-hmm. just um, a knowledge of what's good for you and what's bad for you. And typically when you're going to make what in this culture, like my culture specifically would be sort of an extreme lifestyle choice. Um, you tend to do it with the research and stuff like that. Like I have friends who are vegan, who I really admire and they go to the doctor and they get their blood drawn and they make sure they have the right amount of iron and the right amount of magnesium and vitamins and minerals and all that stuff. Um, so that they, they know that even within their, their <coughs> vegan diet, that they're getting all those different things that their body needs to be healthy. Um, so it's a very, very, which I've never considered choice. going to the doctors to check. I've got all those things in my diet. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Like we could be going along eating meat, McDonald's, you know, fast food, whatever. And we might have no idea how, that food is impacting our bodies. And so, and I'm not saying that meat eaters are unhealthy and vegans are healthy or whatever, but I'm saying to make that kind of lifestyle choice, typically those people are um, doing a lot more research in order to figure out how they can incorporate different foods in their life or eliminate a whole section of foods from their life and how to fill it in with other foods. Or supplements. Or supplements. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what that's an argument I've heard from, and it's not a it's not an area I know a great deal about. So I'm not arguing for any particular side. Yeah, but it's one of the arguments I've heard against veganism. Is the supplements that you need to take sub vitamin supplements to replace what you can only get from meat? That I think is a little bit of an urban myth, from what I understand. It may may well be. Yeah, my big. There is some logic to the statement. You know, if you need to take supplements because your diet isn't giving you enough the diet isn't enough you know like there is logic to that sort of idea but that's true that's true even of meat eating it's not because so i i um was healthier when i was a vegetarian than i am now as a meat eater and it has nothing to do with whether or not i eat meat it has to do with the balance of my diet and what i'm putting in my diet but one thing that i was in both situations was anemic and it's genetic for me in my family where my 
my genetic makeup makes it harder for my body to process iron. I don't fully understand why. Um, it's something that I need to go to a dietitian and learn more about, but I take iron supplements whether I eat meat or not because I'm anemic. And I've been tested multiple times where I know like every time my blood is drawn and tested for iron, it comes up either short or just on the borderline of barely on the bottom line of um, having enough iron. So yeah, as a meat eater, you can still be deficient in all sorts of different things. Yeah. Well, that was the sort of beginning of your list of reasons, Jillifer, that you were talking about. You talked about environmental and then you talked about whatever. Yeah, the, the, there, about. Were, there were different, um, uh, uh, I don't know what to call them, reasons or arguments, because I tend to have them in dis- come across them in discussion with people. And I don't mean arguments in an aggressive way. I mean it in, in a conversational way, so right. having two opposing opinions. Uh, um. So yeah, the I I have objections to quite a lot of them because I, I don't know one vegan who I've spoken to. And again, I don't want to be like cast you know, paint with a broad brush. I'm sure there are many who don't, but who who cite the environmental argument, who aren't happy to use computers or mobile phones which contain gold, which in many cases is illegally mined and also contributes to deforestation. Not as much as veganism, but it does contribute. And there seems to be a, a, for me, there seems to be kind of a a disassociation. And this is where we talked about uh, earlier on when I I brought up the, the definition of veganism, where they say we're practically possible. Because when this argument's brought up, a lot of vegans would turn around to me and say, yeah, but I need a mobile phone for my job. I can't really live without a mobile phone. I can live without eating meat. So is is veganism kind of a, a product of, or, or in some cases, is veganism a product of uh, privilege? Well, uh, yeah, not only that, but you talk about like um, those who want, so we talk about the type of vegan who's vegan because they want to make an impact, like a positive impact on the environment. Um, in order for us to truly make a positive impact on the environment, we have to go back to pretty much like what we would consider like a savage or natural state where we are in small um, families or tribes or groups and we're, we're working in balance within a, a specific um, environment, right? Which really <laughs> would not work with 78 billion of us and cities, you know, with millions and millions of people in the city, it's just not reasonable to even think about anymore. So you're, you're kind of right where, when the person makes the argument that they're doing it just to improve the environment, you have to wonder if it's more, and maybe I'm being a little bit disingenuous here, but if it's a little bit more just to sort of pacify their own consciousness or, or conscience, sorry, conscience. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. What do you mean by that? As in, like, like people wanting to be seen as the oh, person as cares about a thing and is virtuous and good, when actually the impact that it has isn't necessarily as great as they come it to be. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I know exactly what you mean. Because, like, so we recycle in my family, and my my stepdad perhaps rightly pointed out to me. He goes, "You do know that when you drop your stuff off at the recycling plant, they just take it over to the dump and they just dump it. They're not actually recycling it." I don't know the truth of his claim, but let's assume for the moment that he's right, that I'm recycling, I'm sorting all my stuff out. I'm spending my time sorting out the plastics between one, two, three, four, five, or whatever the the types of plastics. And I I drive it down to the recycling plant. I drop it off and sort it all out. And they just turn around and put it in the dump. If that's true, I'm doing it just to make myself feel better. I'm not doing it to have any actual positive impact on the environment. So you you bring up- The big thing about recycling a couple of years ago, and I know this is a slight rabbit hole, but I think it's relevant. But of like how lots of recyclables in the UK we recycle, but then they get shipped over to like Turkey or places in Eastern Europe or in Asia or in Africa that then do end up just on landfills because actually there's so much of it that they can't deal with it. And so actually it's even worse than if it had just kept it in the UK because it's had to go on a container ship across the world that's then polluted, you know, and it's yeah. this whole thing of however much you value something or say that it's your reasons behind making a choice how much impact can someone have and actually is one person's diet going to have more impact or is like you know advocating for systemic change in a country the answer or is it you know I'm not saying that there's no value in veganism for example because I think I think there certainly can be 
or recycling but, or whatever the case may be yeah yeah, or, yeah whatever it is but i think it, it's got to also have that sort of humility behind it where it's like i'm not single-handedly saving the world here this <laughs> right. is just something i care about for this reason and that's why i'm doing it but actually yeah, yeah you've got to be honest with like <clears throat> should i be valuing other things in other areas should I be working towards things in other areas that it's, also would make a big difference it's like one small step is it you know so it's funny there's a what do you call it like a platitude or a, or a fable out there about like whether or not your your efforts towards change makes a difference right and the so the story goes like there's a little girl on a beach and like there's all these starfish washing up on the beach and she's picking up one starfish after another and she's throwing it back in and throwing it back in and a man walks up to her and says, like, well, you know, there's thousands of starfish on this beach. Like, what difference are you making? Are you making any difference at all? And she goes, picks a starfish up and she throws it in and she goes, I made a difference for that one. Right. And so there, there is that whole idea of maybe we can't have a huge impact and maybe our, our actions aren't going to be perfectly um, in line with our values. But every little step makes that much more of a difference. I'm curious if you were to go without meat for whatever reason that's not important if you were to go without meat and uh would that concern you would it make you feel like you'd lost something i don't believe so i I think there are things that because obviously our senses are important and we sort of value sense in different ways and taste is an important sense you know taste of things you know like Christmas tastes, for example, every year I look forward to the taste of Christmas stuffing at Christmas dinner, you know, specific things, you know, with all the spices and the, the flavours and stuff. And I really value that taste experience at Christmas. Uh, I'd certainly overindulge and that's a separate conversation. Don't go on at me. But like, um, you know, taste important. And like, I know that there are traditionally British things that I'd have for breakfast, you know, like a full English with sausage and bacon and spam and fried bread and whatever else. <laughs> that I know a part of the experience of life that I've lived. And I think certainly if I was to move to an, a meat-free diet, it would, it's not that like I'm dependent on those things, but I do enjoy eating those things. And that would be certainly some, you know, I, I can foresee, say if I decided to become vegan now, that I would miss a bacon and spam sandwich every now, you know, every couple of weeks from the sandwich shop. I'd miss that because I really enjoy eating those and I enjoy the flavors and whatever else. But it's not something that's necessarily the be-all and end-all of life because I'm sure I would get to experience and enjoy other foods that would, you know, fill that gap or, you know, open my eyes to completely other culinary delights. So, yeah, I don't think it would be something that, yeah, I'd miss necessarily, certainly in the long run, maybe in the short term, but certainly not in the long run. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm in agreement and maybe for, like, slightly different reasons or maybe very much similar reasons, but... I, I wouldn't, I sometimes feel ashamed because I'm not vegan. I, I boil my lack of veganism down to just laziness. Um, so I, I spent two years eating a pretty strictly vegetarian diet and I was working towards a vegan diet. But then um, what, what stopped me or brought me out of it is I started going through um, a depression that was sort of related to other stuff going on in my life. But then I found that after I would eat soy-based products, like um, processed soy, that I would have these really strong bouts like the very next day. It was almost like clockwork. I started actually writing a journal and keeping track of it. And sure enough, like it was linked um, where I would have these just huge emotional crashes, like very severe, like suicidal type emotional, um, what would you call it? Like periods. And so for me, it, it became oh, just Laura. easier. Huh? Well, I would just say, I'm sorry I, to hear that. Oh no, it was just, it was just one of those, yeah. you know, people go through depressions in their life and they go through yeah. downtimes, but my realization that my emotions were also very linked to my environment, my food was sort of eye-opening for me. And what I ended up doing was sort of slingshotting the other way as I threw meat back into my diet to get myself better regulated. And I never kind of re-removed it or took it back out. And now like years later, there's so many alternatives that don't have any soy in it whatsoever. And, and I did do the, the research, like they, I guess there's like a, there's a lot of estrogen or some sort of estrogen like proteins in soy. And so, um, it's, it's interesting how food can impact your physiology and your body. And so for me, it became a matter of laziness. Like it was just easier to prepare meat. And, and now we're, we're in the habit again 
And, um, and that includes the kids. Like we were all in the habit of being vegetarian and I would feed the kids very little meat because of their tastes. And like, it was just easier. Um, but now we're just back in it like full swing and I never took the time to go back. Um, but I personally don't see any reason why I need to eat meat other than the convenience of it, like going out to dinner and it's like, Oh, this meat dish, like it limits your, your choices when you're just vegetarian or limits the food that's available to you when you're just vegetarian. And it's even worse when you're vegan. Um, like we went out for a meal, uh, for my father-in-law's birthday the other week, uh, just to a pub up the road. And it, I think there was one, maybe two vegetarian options on the menu. And if you don't like mushrooms or you don't like whatever the other one was, you know, you are limited in, in options. That even though if you go in the supermarket, there are so many other options, oh, and sure. so many other, you know, yeah. actual vegan restaurants and vegan food suppliers and stuff. But yeah, it, like practicality is is often uh, wins out over moral arguments, however much you believe in them. Yeah, it kind of sucks. <laughs> so talking about practicality then, and also touching on the fact that m- my experience of vegan bacon is likely in soggy cardboard. <laughs> it's, um, it's not pleasant. They're not the ones I've had anyway. Um, if this thing takes off, which is... as being done to an extent in certainly in the lab where they can grow animal mm-hmm. uh proteins burgers yeah. yeah grow animal burgers without necessarily having to grow the animal and just grow a burger uh in in the lab For, i know i know this brings up like lots of moral issues uh in the vegan argument on the whole but that those aside just for the point of this would you consider changing uh to that rather than eating actual animal if the taste was exactly the same so what is i'm failing to see the more and maybe i'm just a little bit jaded here but i'm failing to see the moral argument in growing like the the immorality of growing meat like to me that's an incredibly moral thing to do like it's just like growing a plant like you you grow a bunch of vegetables in your garden then you eat them and there's no moral issue with eating those vegetables there's no sentience to them there's no feelings there's no a suffering structure of proteins exactly and if we can grow a cow that has no sentience and no no feelings and we're we're manufacturing it and i don't know what else goes into it in terms of environmental impact i would assume that it's not as bad as the environmental impact of the factory farms right um i'm really failing i first of all i'd be perfectly okay with eating that burger as long as it was safe and it was it's meat right i don't see any moral or ethical I can remember some people being squeamish of yeah okay maybe meat, but yeah. like actually uh, when you think about the realities of slaughter of animals on a mass scale there's probably more to be squeamish about there when you actually think about it than factory meat yeah i'm squeamish about how the cows are treated this is where i'm going to get on my moral high horse but i'm more squeamish about how the cows and the pigs are treated like before slaughter where they're all you know they're all in this tight little area being force-fed all this grass feed or whatever and i'm probably painting a picture that's a little bit like hyperbolized but um and then put through a a a line where they're they're killed just one cow after another after another that that to me makes me more squeamish than the idea of growing a meat product in the lab that is perfectly 100 genetically beef perfectly safe has all the same nutritional value um yeah other than just the fact that we're not used to that idea and it seems kind of icky there's loads of things which you know decades ago we wouldn't have been used to but now are commonplace and people adapt to things don't they um and i think certainly the slaughter thing is interesting as well because it's an aspect you know people think about all beef comes from cows and you imagine the cows in the fields you know you imagine the pigs you know in their styes or whatever um but like i've seen videos online of animal slaughter and like one of the quote-unquote humane ways of slaughtering pigs for example is putting them in these boxes and lowering them into pits that are full of carbon dioxide so that the pigs like suffocate and like the carbon dioxide like burns their esophagus and whatever else and they just screech and screech and screech in pain and then suffocate and fall over and die and that's humane because obviously they're not having to be shot or injured by a person and I, I certainly wouldn't describe that as humane but it's really easy to be then as well take I don't know like the horror of slaughter and I think it is horrible in whatever way it is uh, undertaken the horror of slaughter is a permanent part of the meat eating industry and even if you have a 
you know, even if in my back garden we kept a pig and loved it and brought it in the house and snuggled it and it had the most glorious, wonderful life in the world, the horror of slaughter would still be there at the end. And if there was a way yeah. of still experiencing the things that we enjoy as part of our diets, you know, diets are also a big part of like traditions and cultures and whatever else. If there's a way to have that that reduces that level of horror, not only for the animals, but, you know, having to have people who are employed whose job it is to do those horrendous things to animals, I, I would jump at that, like jump at it. Let's get into that. Let's get into the, because... And this is coming towards the end of the show, so maybe this can be like our final discussion point. The, take over to the Facebook discussion group. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you don't necessarily after if 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 we changed the way that farming was done if we all advocated vegans vegetarians meat eaters all advocated for farming to change so that animals were treated humanely up until the point of death which is unavoidably going to be slaughter and horrible in some way mm-hmm. is it better and this is an open question it's not loaded although it's going to sound loaded is it better to have an animal living in captivity with access to shelter and medicine and plentiful food and companionship from other animals up until the point of death? Or is it better to have that same animal free in the wild? From I'm talking from a point of view of the animal being happy overall and the welfare of the animal. you're talking about minimizing suffering and maximizing is it better pleasure, yeah. to have it in the wild where it's going to have natural predators where it's going to not have access to medicines and it's going to be sick where it's not going Lonesome to have access to my food and yeah it it, and it and may die in a much more horrible well way about how like lots of livestock animals and whatever else wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the whole farming industry you know like we oh yeah have cows on and sheep and pigs all over the country if it wasn't for the fact that people want them to eat yeah wild chickens were not the same as chickens the way that they are today yeah. yeah no like we're the wild animal from which chickens came and same with cows and everything yeah no that is a super super interesting question because how much of it is our responsibility and how much of it isn't so Animals all around the world are part of this ecosystem of like the, the struggle of survival, right? And, and predators struggle just as much, if not potentially more, depending on the situation, than, um, than plant eaters. And, and I'm not saying that in any objective way. I'm just saying like the struggle is real for, for all sides, right? Outside of our happy little cities. Um, so how much of it is our responsibility to reduce the suffering of animals in the animal kingdom? versus providing comfortable lives for animals and so you you make a good point like if we're going to eat the animal do we have some sort of moral obligation to make them comfortable before we eat them like i I don't know um i think you could easily argue the other way like if we're just going to kill them in the end what's even matter you know we're using them as a consumable good and you know if if that's the way they're going to end up anyway why this is not my argument but you know like why would we even care about that yeah, and yeah, that that is one potential argument. You're right, but and the argument that I'm kind of making is more like, okay, so let's say we reduce factory farming dramatically. Let's say we make farming a lot more um, humane and make the lives for those animals a lot more comfortable. Well, now we're just talking about having less animals overall on farms, but it doesn't like we're not setting them free and having them be in the wild. We're just not breeding as many. We're just reducing them, right? So we have less cows because we're breeding less cows or um, less chickens or whatever the case may be, but we're not like setting them free into the wild to suffer in, in like the, the predator prey environment. But then if we're going to worry about that predator prey environment, shouldn't we be worried about all animals in that environment? Like, I guess that particular question is just a really tricky one for me because it kind of opens up a Pandora's box. Because none of us care about a pigeon that gets mauled by a fox in that predator-prey environment. We don't do things to protect all animals that have predators because the predators also need to eat and we accept that that's a natural part of the circle of life and, you know, ecosystem. It's tricky because it it touches on lots of different aspects. It touches on animal suffering and it touches on autonomy. Would, would, Would you prefer a limited life 
of luxury to living out in the wild and having to scavenge and be cold and go hunting and having people chasing you and always being on guard. You know, oh, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. It's one of those which doesn't necessarily have a right or wrong answer. It's really interesting in the larger conversation to have a think about. Yeah, that almost gets into the moral conversation for me about like zoos. Like I have a really hard time with the idea of, of taking an animal out of its natural environment and keeping it locked up in this teeny tiny little cage that's way smaller than its natural environment. And it's usually not even well suited to the animal. Although I know that some zoos do try within the individual cages to make it very similar to their environment, but it just can't be. Um, especially if the the climate of the area that you're in is completely different from the climate they're used to. Um, you can't really change that. So I, I have that same question, Jilliver, but not necessarily with factory farming and veganism. I have that with zookeeping and whether or not we should keep animals in cages because yeah, we're feeding them. We're keeping them alive. We're giving them antibiotics. They're getting attention, you know, like we're giving them all these needs that we as humans have decided are valuable needs, but we're keeping them locked up in cages for people to look at, you know, and out of their natural environment. So I, I struggle with that question too. You know, what's really interesting that you, you've just said that about zoos, but the previous question, when I said, would you rather be, have a limited lifespan and be kept in luxury or go out in the wild and have to suffer, you said you'd rather be in luxury. Yeah. But what's, what's luxury to us versus luxury to an animal, right? Like if luxury means being locked in my house for my entire life, um, and not allowed to go out of my house, um, but I'm given every single thing that I need, I'd probably kill myself. Um, and that's not, I'm not even being, I'm not even being like, um, cute or funny about it. I'm being quite literal. Like that to me would be a prison, no matter how comfortable that prison is, you know? And that's just to me personally, I know people who might feel the other way around that they'd much rather be locked up in their house 24 seven and given every single luxury they need, um, than have to go out into the world and interact with it or be out and, and about. But, um, I just, I, I think that it, the fact that we are sentient thinking beings that can have these kinds of conversations and discuss how we feel about things makes our choice to do that or not do that much different than when we're putting that on an animal. And I'm not coming to any sort of moral conclusions. I'm just saying I struggle with it. Like I struggle with the idea of factory farms and I struggle with the idea of zoos, but I'm not necessarily out there like being an activist against them either. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. In terms of like, wrapping up because i know we're coming to the end yeah um and final thoughts and things uh, one thing that's really struck me through this whole conversation is the fact that i think it's really easy to paint this argument between you know being pro and against veganism as quite a simple straightforward moral argument as you know quite a simple well of course animal cruelty is wrong so therefore veganism but it's it's just incredibly multifaceted, incredibly complex, and there are so many aspects to it. It, it. it changes depending on whether you're thinking about an individual compared to a family, compared to a society. It's talking about structural ideas about sort of codified ethics in, in terms of the systems that are built up in society. Um, and even the moral arguments themselves don't necessarily exist in this black and white world. You know, I... I you can think of re really good, sound, valid moral reasons, um, you know, for any of the positions that we've talked about. Uh, it's just about the which ones of them you yourself prioritise and value and which ones you don't. Um, and obviously us three talking about this, we're three sceptics, but we're also three people who do eat meat. None of us are vegans or even vegetarians. Right. Um, and obviously we've not... Rep you know, we don't have a vegan representative in the, the conversation we've got. But it it certainly is something that's worth thinking about and worth considering when a lot of the time the default of meat eating and stuff is something that people just don't consider enough. And even if you consider it to the point where you've decided it's not worth making the change, so you're not able to make changes in a certain direction, I think it's really valuable to have thought about it. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Just anyway. Um, and even if you move in a small step towards it, yeah, it will make a tiny small difference to the world, but you know, pennies like, up to pounds. So yeah, I was gonna say or drops of water in the ocean, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deliver, what are your That's final thoughts on this? I th I think 
there should be more conversation about it. I, it's a subject I like talking about to vegans. I get frustrated because I do come up against a lot of... Uh, I think sometimes when you're talking about it from the aspect of a meat eater to a vegan audience or a vegan person, you automatically get pushed back as though you're arguing against them. Right. And I'm not arguing against veganism in general. I've, I've, I've no problem with veganism at all. If someone wants to be, I'm not one of those meat eaters who's going to sit and eat a burger in front of them because yeah. that's just fucking rude. Right. Or tell them they can't do what they're doing. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, I'm, I don't necessarily agree that veganism is a moral imperative. And we've touched on some of the reasons for that in the show, but I'd, I, you know, it's a very nuanced conversation. This would be a fun conversation to do live, like to have people give their input and stuff and to have it maybe last like a couple of hours versus an hour, like an open discussion, because there really is a lot more to it. There is. And I mean, even Richard touched on something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it just just as he was finishing speaking, he touched on something that made me think, hmm, actually. That's another route we could go down with. I can't recall what I said. So I can't, I can't recall what you said. I'll have to. I'll have to watch it back and put it in the group. It was so inspiring and thought provoking. That <laughs> he forgot about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I would say that my final thoughts are like the the shades of gray are so important here. Like because there's there's multiple levels of conversation here, and if you're talking about the morality of just eating meat in general versus the morality of how we process meat as industrialized cultures um they're two completely separate topics in my opinion and there's one that i can get a lot more behind than the other and that is like how we do things for factory farming like i i think there's a lot more improvement there and there's a lot more discussion of the morality there than there is in just the general like should meat be eaten period um so yeah i think that that this conversation has to be super super nuanced and and very specific and i i agree with jilliver that it has to be very non-judgmental like whatever you choose to do, you choose to do. And I fully support that. Um, but if I talk about my morality, it doesn't mean that it has to be the same as your morality. Um, so yeah, I just think that this, this conversation, um, overall, I would say that, that veganism as a lifestyle is a very, very valid lifestyle. Um, and that some of the arguments are very good arguments. Um, but I also agree that, that people need to make their own decisions and need to be educated on the facts and then choose their own paths. cool so having said that thank you guys all for listening um don't forget to put in your two cents on facebook um i think that that this is one of those ones where i think we can get into some really cool ongoing discussions on facebook and i'm really looking forward to it so let's make that happen um but in the meantime we are laura richard and richard and you've been watching skeptic hangout and until next time keep questioning Interrogate your beliefs. Stay skeptical. Bye all. Bye. Bye.